Proverbs chapter 23. I'm going to read one verse tonight, and then we're going to expound on that verse and, and bring a spiritual application from it. Proverbs 23, look at verse 10 with me, and let's read it together. Ready to begin. Remove not the old landmark and enter not in the fields of the fatherless. All right, one more time. Ready to begin. Remove not the old landmark into the fields of the fatherless. As we'll see tonight, landmarks are extremely important to God. In fact, the statement that we just read is found two times in Proverbs, two times in Deuteronomy, once in Job, once in Hosea, and other times in Scriptures. Solomon is reiterating to his son, who presumably someday will sit on the throne, that God had set up some landmarks that should not ever be moved. Tonight, I want to remind us that God has some landmarks that he's set up for our lives. And all God's people said, and he's had some landmarks that he set up for our church and for our lives and for our families. And so tonight, I want to give you three landmarks that God has set up that we should not move. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help me, God, with this message tonight. And Lord, help us to think about these different landmarks and help us, God, in our each, each context, in our own lives, help us not to move these landmarks, even when we're tempted to. Even when others move the landmarks, help us not to move them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Proverbs twenty two twenty eight. Remove not the ancient landmark, which thy fathers have set up, the old landmark. We're very familiar with landmarks today. Uh, how many of you were driving before GPS? All right, many of you. How many of you, before GPS, when you go to get directions, it wasn't so much about streets, but more about landmarks? Take a right down there at the big stops, at the big old rock, and then the White House, and then go left, and then there's a big old tree. Am I, Johnny, where are you at? Am I speaking your language, brother, tonight? And uh, where'd you go, Johnny? Anyways, there he is. Am I, am I telling the truth, John? Yeah. yeah, I am. Amen. And so it was all about landmarks, and so we understand that landmarks are important but in the Bible times, landmarks were very serious. They were very serious. They referenced, uh, they referenced property markers or property lines. Usually it was a stone or a pile of stones that marked someone's property. How many understand that property lines are very sacred? Uh, you say, well, what do you mean by that? If you woke up tomorrow and your left fence was missing and moved over five feet into your neighbor's, uh, onto your property, and your neighbor gained five feet of your property, you wouldn't be excited about that because that is your property. And so property lines are very sacred. God was very strict about certain boundaries and borders that were set up in ancient times, so much so that he pronounced a curse on anyone who would move those landmarks to gain an advantage for themselves. And oftentimes that would be the case. Uh, a, a, a man would die and he would leave the land to his son or his wife or whatever. And somebody would come in and they would remove the landmarks because there was nobody there to defend it. And that's what it's call, talking about when it says not to remove, uh, not to enter into the fields of the fatherless. And so we understand tonight that when the Israelites inherited the promised land, God had allotted each tribe a place to settle 
and to dwell. He said, this is where you're going to live. This is your land. This is where you're going to live. And he delineated the property lines out for them. Each family was given uh, this property, but it was not separated by a fence like a lot of our properties are today. But they had what was called landmarks. And again, these were stones, usually a large stone or a pile of stones. And these stones were not to be moved. God gave a stern warning about these landmarks. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 14, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you, but God says, thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark and of the old time which have set thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land of the Lord thy God give thee to possess it. In Deuteronomy 27, 17, God says again, cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark and all the people shall say amen. Those landmarks were there to remain undisturbed and were not to be encroached upon, not just in the generation where they were set up, but in the generations that were to come. Now, we come to the book of Proverbs, and Solomon is now telling his son, who is going to be king, son, no matter what you do, do not remove the old landmarks that God had set up when the people, our people of Israel, came into the promised land. So it's important for us to realize tonight that even though centuries had passed since these landmarks were placed, God still recognized those boundaries and those landmarks and condemned those who took advantage of their neighbors after moving them centuries later. When we get to Proverbs 23.10, we see where it says, don't remove the landmark, enter not in the fields of the fatherless. This was referring back to those old landmarks that God had them placed centuries before. Later in the prophecy of Hosea, God likens the corrupt and sinful princes of Judah to those who would remove the bound. Hosea 5.10, the princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound. Therefore, I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. God's reaction is very fierce against those who would infringe on the domains or the rights of another. And so I believe tonight that Christians tonight say, how does this apply to us today? I believe that we as Christians tonight need to realize that God has set up ancient landmarks, which are not to be removed in our lives. There are some ancient landmarks, some, some old landmarks that God has put in our lives today that should not be removed. The fact that sin exists implies that God has given us some boundaries. The fact that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins tells us that we have encroached upon or stepped over those boundaries. We have all sinned. The Bible tells us for all have sin. A sin is stepping over the line that God drew in the sand. He said, don't do this. And when we step over that line, we sin. First John uh, 3, 4 says it this way, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law for sin is the transgression of the law. The word transgression means to go beyond, almost like trespassing. We have all trespassed against God's landmarks. And so when we sin, we cross over the line, those boundaries that God has drawn or set. So first of all, we need to be aware that we've done that. It's not up to us to determine what those landmarks are. God makes the determination on what is sin and what is not sin. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God determines what is right and what is wrong. 
Man does not determine that. We don't, man doesn't get together and have a, 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 a committee meeting on what's going to be right and wrong this year. Although we seem to be doing that uh, across the world today. No, God is the one who ultimately decides what's right and what's wrong. Right versus wrong is an objective, not a subjective thing. God is the one who determines what's right and what's wrong. So young people, in your context, your friends, your, your, the students that you go to class with, your teachers, when they stand up and they tell you what's right and what's wrong, and it disagrees with the Bible, and you say, well, everybody seems to think it's okay. It, it seems like the world's okay with this sin, or the world's okay. Why is everybody else think it's okay, but we don't? You might be thinking in the context of your own family. Well, it's okay if the world thinks one thing as long as you agree with the Bible. Because God is the one who determines what's right and what's wrong. God says homosexuality is wrong. Therefore, it doesn't matter if it's legal. It doesn't matter if your cousin is that way or your son or your daughter. It is wrong. Because God determined that. Not the Baptist church. Amen. We didn't say that. It's not up to us. I said it's not up to us. We don't determine what a sin is and what not a sin is not. God is the one who determines those things. So parents... As you deal with these things and, and, and as you deal with your family and young people, as you deal with these things, it doesn't mean we're unkind. It doesn't mean that we're uh, crazy and do weird stuff. What it means is, though, is that we don't go along with it because God says it's wrong. And that's just one, uh, one uh, um, example. But God has laid down the landmarks that delineate between right and wrong, righteousness and unrighteousness. What good is a boundary if people can arbitrarily move it wherever they want. We see that God has set these boundaries. God has determined. We, and here's the blessing. We'll get into, I'm getting ahead of myself. But here's the blessing. We don't have to determine what's right and what's wrong. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we don't have to have a committee on the right versus wrong committee? God has done that for us. So tonight, three distinct landmarks that, and I know there's many, but these are, I think, three of probably the most important as far as I think here. So number one, we see, we see the landmark of scriptural authority. The landmark of scriptural authority. So hold up your Bible tonight. Hold up your Bible if you have one. It's okay if you, if you got it tonight. I understand that happens. But if you have it, hold it up here. This, this book right here is our authority. So let's say that it is, let's say the Bible is our authority. Ready? Begin. The Bible is our authority. We hold up scriptures like this. We don't look at Scripture like this. We don't tell the Bible what it says. We don't change the Bible to say what we want. We don't uh, cut and, and, and delineate what we like and what we don't like. This is what it says. And it is my authority. It is your authority. That means if the Bible says so, that's what it means. Uh, so with, in a world like today where morality is constantly shifting, one year, it's okay to do this, and they just, I think this last week, they just determined that marijuana is no longer considered an unsafe drug. And so morality is shifting, and, and some of you are happy about that, but let's just move on. And so uh, it's constantly changing. If you owned a piece of property tonight, and some of you do, you might have a fence on your property that marks the line. But that fence is merely a reflection of what is recorded in a deed. The deed clearly delineates the boundary. I keep saying that's a lot. That's a word I'm going to use a lot tonight. 
It clearly delineates the boundaries of your property. But if someone could just come up and dig up that fence and move it a few yards for their own purposes, the claim and claim that property for themselves, wouldn't that be wrong? Wouldn't that be an infringement on you? Of course, you wouldn't stand for that because the property line is a matter of legal right, and it's your domain. It's your property. It's your sovereign sphere. God has established the boundaries between right and wrong. It is within his will what is wrong. It is within his will what is right. We do not have any more right to move those boundaries than someone coming onto our property and moving our property lines. God is the one who has the right to set the boundaries. The Bible is God's sovereign fence, his landmark, his word. This is not, when we say it's God's word, we say that for a reason, because it's God's word. It's not man's word. It is not ours to do what we want with. It is not ours to believe or disbelieve. It is not ours to reject or accept. It is God's. We don't get to choose those things. And so as we recognize tonight that the Bible is God's property, he does give it to us to enjoy. The Bible, his word is his property, but he allows us to abide in it. He allows us to uh, find uh, pleasure in his word, comfort, peace, those things. But be, uh, be, uh, understand tonight, the Bible does not belong to us. It's his. This is God's landmark. And because his word is eternal, so are the eternal landmarks found within. Property lines don't change one generation to the next. In other words, the boundary doesn't change when you die and your kids become in charge. It didn't in the regard of the property rights of the Israelites, and boundaries don't change uh, with spiritual things with God. And so take your Bibles, go to 1 Peter chapter number 1. So we're in Proverbs, and we're going to go all the way to the end of your New Testament, just about to the end. Hebrews, James, and go to 1 Peter chapter number 1. And we're going to look at verse 24 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Now notice what Peter says. He says, all flesh is as what? Grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass, what? So he just said that the glory of man is going to wither, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the what? Word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. So simply put tonight, the Bible is our boundary. If the Bible says go, we go. If the Bible says no, it's no. Uh, If the Bible says it, that settles it. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. And I could preach on that for a while, but in your own context, in your own life, are you obeying the Bible? Somebody called me not too long ago and asked me a question about living with someone before they're married. And I simply said, what does the Bible say? Oh, you're right, you're right. Yes, I'm not right. The Bible's right. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. The Bible, if it says it, it settles it. You say, well, pastor, what about interpretation? What if my interpretation of the Bible isn't the same as yours? The Bible is our absolute authority, not our interpretation of it. My interpretation of Scripture is not the authority. The Bible's the authority. The Bible only has one interpretation. You say, what do you mean by that? You can take a Scripture, for instance, tonight. I could apply the scripture in many ways. There's only one interpretation of the scripture. In scriptures, 
have only one interpretation. You say, what about scriptures that we don't know the interpretation? Then we're careful not to encroach upon God's word and say it means something it doesn't. Amen? Amen? And there are many things in the Bible that we look at and we go, what? <laughs> what does that mean? And so we're, and the depths and the riches of God's word are far beyond me, let me tell you. But there are things that God says that are very clear, and we should not change those things. It's not open. Uh, uh, and yes, there are some differences in application, but not in interpretation. It is our duty to be sure that our interpretation of Scripture is the true interpretation. That's our duty, to make sure that what we believe about the Bible is what, we, what is true, and we truly believe what it says. But once we understand that interpretation, we must not deviate. We must stick with what God says. Some interpretations are, some are very inexplicably wrong. Some people's interpretations are wrong. They just are. Some people believe that baptism will save you. But if you study the Bible, you study all the verses about salvation, you will learn that baptism does not save. Uh, some people believe that there's purgatory. The Bible doesn't say anything about purgatory. Some people believe that you can confess your sins to another man. But if you read the Bible, you will find that we're not supposed to do that. There is one mediator between God and man. And so there are interpretations of Scripture, quite frankly, that are wrong. Amen? And our goal as an independent Baptist church is not to be proud, but to humbly come and say, we've do, we're doing our dead level best to interpret Scripture the way that God wants it to be interpreted. And that ought to be our hearts. And, you know, sometimes I'll preach a message and my dad or somebody else, mature, will come up to me and say, hey, I want you to think a little bit about what you said there and we might talk about it. And we ought to be open to that because we're, we're all men. And, 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 and I might say something, you might think, oh, okay. And so that's why, that's why we are to be Berean Christians and go back to the scriptures because my interpretation is not the authority. The scripture is the authority. So we see the first landmark that we must be careful about in our own lives, in our church, in our families, and that is the landmark of scriptural authority. It would do well in your life to say, you know what? I don't care what happens around me. This is going to be my authority, Amen. no matter what. And if you follow God's word, you'll be, you'll be blessed, and God will, God will, uh, you'll be blessed in the Lord if you follow what he says. All right, so we have the landmark of scriptural authority. Number two, we see the landmark of salvation the landmark of salvation. Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 5. If you're with me still tonight, say amen. amen. Well, what a great crowd uh, of folks tonight, and uh, uh, thank you for joining us. We're glad you're here if you're online, and uh, good to see you tonight. And uh, I know that uh, uh, several are at home, and, and we want to want you to know we love you, and uh, praying for you, and can't wait to see you again. If you're at home tonight and you're watching, I want you to know that this Christmas, you got to be there this Christmas. We're having a drive-in option. Also, you can get out of your vehicles. It'll be outside on December the 19th and 20th. Love for you to be there. All right, are you there in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11? Look at what it says. And this is the record that God hath given us, what? Eternal life. How long is eternal? That's forever. <laughs> and this life is in following rules. And this life is in the Baptist church. No, this life is what? In his son. And he that hath the son hath life, and he that hath not the son hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. 
If being saved and being lost are two opposite things, there must be a line between them. There must be a point one crosses from being lost to being saved. Picture with me tonight a 30-foot wall in the air, straight in the air. This, uh, this auditorium, I think, is 22 feet down the center. I think, I'm not quite sure, but maybe not quite that high. But imagine with me a wall all the way to the ceiling here, a brick wall, a sheer brick wall. Imagine that there are no ladders, no elevators, and no stairs around this wall, and this wall stretched across the entire earth. There's no way over this wall. You cannot climb over this wall. The only way through the wall was a single door. That's the only way you're going to get through that wall. There was no other way. You're either on one side of the wall or you're on the other side of the wall. Nobody is at the top of the wall. Nobody that goes through the door can go back through the door. You're either on one side or the other. This is a picture of salvation. When we are born, sin has separated us from God. There is a giant wall between us and God. It's called sin. That wall is unscalable. There's no ladder. There's no elevator. There's no get-out-of-jail-free card. Our sin has separated us. To get to the other side of the wall, the only way, you can keep walking around the wall as far as you want. You'll never get around it. The only way to the other side is through the door. And guess who the door is? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. We understand tonight that this is a landmark we cannot change. Once you knock on the door and Christ lets you in, you're on the other side of the wall. He takes you into his hand and God takes Christ's hand into his hand. The Bible says the Father knoweth them that are his and he shall in no wise cast them out. We understand that it is impossible for those who have tasted of the heavenly gift, as it says in Hebrews, and to uh, fall away from that, the Bible says. We understand tonight that you're either lost or you're saved. There is no partially lost and no partially saved. You're not on your way there to being saved. You might be convicted and the Holy Spirit might be drawing you, but you're no closer to salvation until you walk through the door. There's salvation and then there's the lost. You've either walked through the door or you haven't. And that's a landmark that cannot be moved. Satan, on the other hand, has been perverting God's landmark since the Garden of Eden. You shall not surely die. Satan told Eve, it's okay to cross that boundary. God doesn't mind. Satan and the world are very active today, doing their best to move the boundaries of the gospel. Hey, it doesn't matter. As long as you're trying your best, you'll get to heaven. I don't see that in the Bible. You're moving the landmark. If we're not careful today, sometimes we actually move the landmark in our own hearts and minds. How could God send someone to hell in the deepest jungles of Africa who've never heard the gospel? And we begin to move the landmark. But the Bible says that you're either lost or you're saved. That's what it says. We could go farther into that, and I've preached messages on that before, but Romans 8, 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Salvation is a landmark, and we are not to mess around with that, that landmark. Amen. There's only one way to heaven. I said there's only one way to heaven. Amen. There's only one. There's not many, there's not several. There's only one way to heaven, and that's a landmark we cannot move. So we see the landmark of the authority of Scripture. We see the landmark of salvation. And then lastly tonight, we see the landmark of sanctification. You say, what in the world does that mean? What is sanctification? It means holiness. 
doing, living for God the way that we should live for God. Let's take our Bibles. I think if you're close to 1 Peter like I am, go to 1 Peter chapter number 1 and look at verse 15. 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse 15. But as he which hath called you is what? Holy. Now don't skip over these verses again. Sometimes when we read verses, we think, well, you know, we just slide the landmark over a little bit. Look what it says here. It says, because as he which hath called you is holy, so be what? Holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation means your lifestyle. God wants us to be holy because, of, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Contrary to Christian popular culture today, God is very concerned with our holiness. Another word for holiness is sanctification. Both of these words have the idea of being separated from the world, from sin, from the lusts of our flesh, and we separate ourselves to God. None of us has arrived. And all God's people say, amen. We are not there yet. We, we'll, we won't get there until we get to heaven. But that doesn't mean we don't try. That doesn't mean we don't stay on that journey to be holy. Yes, we uh, fail and we sin and we ask God for forgiveness, but that doesn't mean that God is not concerned about our holiness. Both words have the idea that we are supposed to not just be separated from something, but separated to something. God is interested in us being separated to him. In other words, he ought to be more important in our life than anything else. The issue with mankind is not the fact that we know that God has certain things that he wants us to do and not do. Most of mankind understands that. If I told you tonight, God doesn't want you to lie, you probably wouldn't argue with me about that. If I said, hey, just so you know, God frowns on murder, you probably say, yeah, so do I, amen, most people. We wouldn't be shocked if we recognize that God has things that he doesn't want us to do. The issue comes in when we start to apply our own reasoning and our own standards to what holiness is. Like, for instance, right now, it's okay to eat inside of a tent, outside, but it's not okay to eat inside, inside. <laughs> when we start to apply our own reasoning and our own rules, it doesn't make any sense. It starts, we start to look pretty dumb because God is the only being with enough eternal wisdom to know what should be right and what should be wrong. Let me give you a for instance. Why do people go crazy and go insane when they find out a child is being abused and they call CPS and they don't stand for it? And you shouldn't, by the way. No child should be abused. But we, go, we lose our minds when we find out when someone's being neglected or human trafficked and these kinds of things. But it's okay to murder a child when it's in the womb. How does that make any sense? How does it make a sense that it's, it's, it's wrong to hit a child when he's two, but it's okay to kill a child before he's born? This is what happens when man's in charge of what's right and what's wrong. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Why is it wrong to, uh, to kill endangered species? But it's, but it's okay to murder millions and millions of babies. Our sense of right and wrong is flawed to the point where we are in big trouble if we try to determine what's right and wrong. Did you know that God never, ever, ever in his word left it up to man to define what holiness is? God never looked at the, he didn't look at the Jew. He didn't look at the 
uh, 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 he didn't look at the priests. He doesn't look at pastors. Nowhere in his word does he say, you know what? Why don't you decide what you think is right and you think is wrong? God never says that. As a matter of fact, God gives us some pretty detailed specifics on what's right and what's wrong. We could start with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a pretty good starting point. But as you study Scripture, you learn a lot about the character of God and His expectations. Sometimes people want to add to what God says. Sometimes people want to ignore what God says. Sometimes they try to do something different altogether. I think about the first human ever created, uh, the, excuse me, the first human ever born on this planet. Does anybody know who that was? Cain, the first human ever born on this planet. He did that. He tried to remove the landmark. You see, God wanted him to bring a certain kind of offering. Genesis 4, 3 through 5, the process of time came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel also, his little brother, brought of the firstlings of the flock, the flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. God required a blood sacrifice. And Cain offered him vegetables. He moved the landmark. Abel brought a bloody sacrifice that God had specified. The Lord respected Abel's offering, but unto Cain he did not. Not because Cain's offering wasn't worth something, but because Cain decided that the landmark wasn't where he wanted it, so he moved it to what he thought he, what he should do. And a lot of people do that today. I think of uh, uh, today, many people and churches often move this landmark to match more of what we think that God should do or how we think that God should operate. And listen, today, uh, in, in today, religions and people that uh, uh, have religions that originate from our mind and our will are referred to in scriptures as the way of Cain. Jude chapter number 11, woe unto them for they have gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsayings of Kor. I think about a prosperity gospel and these things. There are some churches that, uh, that are called the way and under the way, it shouldn't say community church, it's to say the way of Cain because they've decided what, we, what they should do and should not do when God has clearly told us what we should and should not do. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Why? Because he offered what God had asked him to. I think about the priests of Nadab and Abihu who moved the ancient landmark when they offered strange fire unto God. Leviticus chapter number 10, verse 1 and 2, and Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them a censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon, and they offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. God made an example out of them in front of the entire nation of Israel. Apparently, he was very serious about his landmarks. What God says in his word is what he means. It's non-negotiable. What God says is what we should do. Now, how many of you tonight are sinners? I am too. And we break God's laws and we understand that we're all sinners. And aren't you glad tonight that even though we're sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The only hope that we have is that Christ died for us. Because of Christ, my sins are forgiven. We must follow Scripture in our personal lives. Simply put tonight, we must follow Scripture in our family values, in our corporate worship. If the Bible says to do it, we should do it. We should place landmarks in our life according to Scriptures. Some people get really bent out of shape about this. I've had people tell me, don't put God in a box. Or I just think God's bigger than that. 
I think that that's very short-sighted. I think that that's very short-sighted. And I'll close with this illustration. When I, uh, my family and I lived on Northgate Drive here in town, very busy street. My son, Ethan, I think was five. And uh, like all good fathers do, instead of walking my five-year-old son to the car, I just said, go get in the car. And instead of going to the car, he was running straight for the street. And I'm talking about choo-choo-choo-choo. And I screamed at the top of my lungs, a guttural scream I don't think I've ever done since then. Stop. And, and he did. He stopped. Cars. I mean, he was running straight for the street. No father, no sane, loving father in his right mind would let his child play near a busy street unless there was a tall, formidable, impenetrable wall separating their precious child and those speeding death machines. No sane father would say, would would not give us those boundaries and those walls. What some people forget is that the landmarks or the boundaries or the walls, they're not for God. They're for us. I said they're for us. And so the next time we go to grab that landmark and to move it, remember, God put that landmark there for you and for me. Can you imagine tonight living in a world without morality, without absolute truth? I think about what John Getch said this, before you tear down a fence, you better make sure you know why it was there in the first place. And I'll add to that because there might be a dog on the other side. There's a lot of Christians tonight pulling down fences in their personal life. But instead of, staying within, and instead of staying within the boundaries or the landmark, they're traveling outside of those things and outside of the will of God and outside of his protection, outside of his provision. Unfortunately, when we do that, the consequences are usually devastating and irreversible. How can we avoid these consequences? How can we foolproof our life? How about this? Instead of removing the landmarks and tearing down the walls, may we take the advice of Solomon in our lives and leave the landmarks alone. Amen? Let's pray together tonight. Every head bowed and every eye closed.